Father God, as we open your word today, we, we ask that uh, once again that you be with me and uh, that you will speak through me as you have spoken through me in, in the privacy of, of my prayers and studies today. And may the words that come out of my lips be soothing, refreshing, invigorating to your people who are ready to listen for words coming from you. For this is our prayer, my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open your Bibles or your devices to the psalm that we're going to be focusing on today, and it's from Psalm uh, 23. Thank you so much, Dax and Jet, where are you? Ah, for reading uh, the, uh, the scripture so well, as always. Um, and uh, <clears throat> it's always a joy to see the kids. You know, we, uh, now and then we, <clears throat> uh, we ask the kids to, um, to, to read our scripture. And whenever we, they don't read, I hear about it. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. I, you know, we started it. As, I remember as, uh, as soon as we, we, we came on board, as I came on, bo- on board as your pastor, and everybody loved it. And I can still remember um, how long has it been. We've, we've been here almost four years, almost four years. And I still remember the first time I asked Jet. And, uh, and everybody just fell in love with how our kids read uh, the scriptures. There's something about how they, how they you know, exude, you know, how, how much confidence they exude and, and, and the, the innocence that they have. And, and it's, it's so wonderful. And of course, uh, we all fell in love with Jet and, and, uh, and, and, his, and his personality. No one goes through life unscathed. It's just a matter of time. Sooner or later, the, uh, the sun gets hidden and clouds obscure the sun, mountains darken the sun. Of course, I'm speaking in, in metaphorical terms. Um, and then... Often, without, uh, without notice, we find ourselves in the shadowlands. And in many ways, we are in, those sh- in the shadowlands. With the pandemic that doesn't seem to want, want to end. The political quagmire we're in. And of course, the many personal Battles that you fight that are unknown to me, but, are, but that are known to God. Often we find ourselves in these shadowlands. It's just a matter of time. That's life. And in these shadowlands, we have trauma. Trauma lurks in these shadows. And we find ourselves often feeling and thinking that we are alone in these deep valleys of life. And sometimes these are physical valleys. And other times these deep valleys, shadowy valleys, are found in the deep recesses of our minds. But often, as we all know, often we do manage to get out and we manage to live another day. Not unscathed, but at least alive. 
And we begin And we begin to reflect as soon as we get out. We begin to reflect on what just happened in our lives, our, our experiences. We get reoriented. We regain our bearings. We gain new perspectives. It's amazing what seeing the sun again does, doesn't it? After you've been in the darkness for so long. It gives you a new sense of hope. And that's what Psalm 23 does for us. This is what's at the heart of this, of this psalm, this sunny little psalm that the world couldn't do without. How many times have we listened to this psalm over and over again, recited at somebody's funeral? I was just at my brother's funeral several weeks ago, and this is my first time preaching in about a month. And I want to say thank you to those of you that have helped me carry the load of preaching in my absence, I have just been through the valley of the shadow of death myself. But this is the very heart of Psalm 23, this sunny little psalm the world could not seem to shed, the psalm that we are always, it seems, willing to listen to whenever we feel vulnerable. Whenever we feel that we're not in control, whenever we feel that the world is out of control, the psalm, this is a psalm that has dried many tears and continues to supply the mold, the mold into which we pour our hearts, the mold into which We pour our tranquil faith. Psalm 23 is the melody we hum after the darkness has passed. It is the bright song we sing after the shadowlands. But it is also the sweet companion we take with us into the next storm. That's what's so nice about this psalm. It is, it is the lamp we take into the next season of darkness in our lives. And so we find ourselves in constant com uh, company with this psalm, the psalm we can never seem to do away with. Why is it so endearing? Why is psalm so endearing? Why is, the, why is Psalm 23 so endearing and, and, and so um, invigorating? So enriching? And I offer four things here, and you know, there, it's, it's very hard to exhaust a psalm that is so deep and it's so open, and there's so many things we could do with this psalm today. We could spend uh, many minutes, maybe hours, even talking about this psalm, and not even begin to scratch the surface of the depth, the depth, the spirituality that is in this. It's almost, it's almost like, you know, if, if you try, you're, you're really, um, you're not doing any justice at all. To this psalm. Why is Psalm 23 so endearing, so rich, that we turn to it time and again in our lives? Well, first, because if I can find that, all right, let's see. I'm juggling between two things here today. Let's see, I hope I can do a good job. 
because it expresses what is obvious, but is often not recognized. That we are not strong or wise enough to be our own shepherd. And that we need someone greater than ourselves in life to be that person to care for us because we are incapable in the long run of caring for ourselves. We all need someone to take care of us, to shepherd us. And that is, you know, and, 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 and as we read Psalm 20, uh, 23 again and again, we find that that is exactly what we find in this psalm. As we read it, we find that the name Yahweh, the covenantal name of God, bookends this psalm. And everything, as if to say, as if David is saying that everything that happens in life happens in the presence of God. And that that is the best way to live life. To live it in the full presence of a God that cares for you and me. And so he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then he goes on to say to us, why he thinks that is so. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What makes Psalm 23 so endearing and so enriching is not only because it expresses this, what we just mentioned, but also because, also because it gives us clear reflection on how we manage to come out of the storms we go through in life. How do we manage to do it? He explains it so, so honestly and so openly in beautiful and rich metaphor. A metaphor that even if you are not shepherd and you've never shepherded sheep, that you would understand it. It's something so, so understandable and so, it, it, it is something that, that, Go straight to our hearts because it's easy for us to conceive it, to, to, uh, to understand it. Psalm 23 gives us clear reflection on how we manage to come out of past storms. And he gives us four, uh, four things here in verses 2 to 4. First of all, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. That is to say, he allows, us, he, he, he allows us or he leads us to a place where we can find some measure of rest in the midst of the storms of our lives. Some measure of comfort. He pulls us. And you know, uh, uh, the more we study uh, this psalm, the more we see that the language, the language that, uh, that David uses here is the language of the Exodus. You remember when, when the, uh, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord would go ahead of his people and it would be the Ark of the Lord where the Ark of the Lord would rest for the day, where they would rest for the day. That is to say, the Lord would find that place for them in, the, in, in that huge, gigantic desert 
that they, where they found themselves for 40 years. It was always the case in the life of God's people, and it's always the case now in, the life, in, the, in our lives as God's people, that God is the one that searches for us a place where we can reflect a place where we can make sense of all the darkness and all of the pain that, that we find ourselves in our lives. He is the one that makes us li- uh, uh, that looks for it, and then once he finds it, he tells us, this is the place for you to lie down in. And he says, he leads me beside still waters. Water, water that is deep and serene, so we can, we can get as much of uh, you know, uh, uh, water to thirst, to quench our thirst. And then he says something which is really, um, re- re- it, it strikes me because he says, he restores my soul. What does he mean when he says he restores my soul? You can imagine, you can imagine a shepherd and a sheep and a sheep and the sheep goes astray and and we imagine ourselves going astray as we fight the devils in our lives and as we spend our, our days in deep darkness, in agony over the many problems that we find ourselves in our lives. And that we don't always walk in a good path. We don't always, we don't always stay with God. And here we find David giving us in beautiful metaphor, in a beautiful metaphor, in rich metaphor, telling us that when that happens, when that happens, God does not say to us, I don't need you anymore. I don't want you anymore. What does he do? He goes out and looks for us and brings us back and restores us and refreshes us. He leads, he restores my soul. And then he says, he leads me in right paths. I like that phrase because, you know, um, I was going over that and it's it's, it's kind of a little convoluted to to translate that from the original. But the sense in which David is communicating uh, this this line to us is this. That when we uh, go astray, and we all do from time to time go astray, if you haven't done it yet, I hate to, I hate to be, to, 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 you know, to rain on your parade, you will. It's just a matter of time. It's inevitable. And I remember when my kids were young and I was watching them in their innocence. And I, in my mind, kept going to that place, that time when I know it's just a matter of time, they will choose the wrong path. They will go astray. They will make decisions that are not in line with the will of God. But what's so comforting about this text is that, and, 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 and uh, David will say it even better as we go down, as we reach the, uh, you know, the, the, in the middle of the ending of this of this. Uh, um, Psalm, is that God goes and looks for us like any good parent would. And if you would do it to your child, God would do better than what you're able to do for your child. 
If my son, would, if my son loses his way and goes, you know, gallivanting and, 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 and takes off, and I would seek for my son or my daughter, as God would. And all of this, David, as it were, you can just imagine him composing this um, psalm after the, a deep darkness this, that he just, you know, that, uh, in, in his life, that, uh, just, uh, that just recent in his life. And he begins to reflect and he reflects and, and um, he begins to enunciate, to acknowledge the things that have happened in his life recently. And he addresses God in the third person. He, Yahweh, he, 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 you know, four times here between, uh, between uh, five, if you include the word Yahweh itself, uh, in these uh, first three verses. He's reflecting, you see, he's reflecting about what's just happened in his life. And as he reflects, the more he reflects, the more, you know, that emotion wells up from inside him. And the more he says, you know, you know, and then finally he bursts out. And rather than, rather than continuing to, call, uh, to, to, to address God in an indirect way, in the third person singular, he, 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 he breaks down and finally says, you, you, Lord, you. And from then on, as we get to verse 4, all the way down, almost to the very end, to the very end of this, uh, of this uh, psalm in verse 5, he refers to God in the second, in, in, the, um, in the direct indirect address. You. You. That is what makes this, part of what makes this psalm so endearing. Is that it's, you know, it's, it's so deep, it's so honest, it's so open to God in, an, in acknowledging the role, the, the daily role of God, the moment-by-moment moment role of God in his life. That not a day passes by where God is not involved in your life as your shepherd, as the one that leads you to a place where you can reflect and make decisions that are con consistent with the values of the kingdom of God. As you make your way, your way back. And the last of those, he, in verse 4, tells us what those right paths are. You know, the, the right translation for the right path is really the ruts of righteousness. And what, you know, what, what uh, David seems to be telling us, is that when we go astray, not only does God want, uh, pull us back, not only does he go and search for us in order to bring us back and restore us and refresh us, but he makes sure that he will put us on a path that is so well beaten that we are sure not to wander again. You know, I, I, I did something great which almost, uh, which, which, al which I almost didn't accomplish. To be honest with you, I was the second to the last to to, to accomplish it uh, uh, in our team, and I was able to go up uh, with uh, a team of, uh, of friends uh, early August, late July, early August, and climb all the way up the summit of uh, Mount Whitney. No, no, no clapping. 
Oh, come on. <laughs> well, that's weak. Oh, no. so I'm just teasing you. Um, and I, I tell you, it was, it was about the hardest thing I've, I've ever done physically. And uh, one, of the, um, one of the things that I, I, you know, that, that I found hard was staying on the right path. It was easy when you're going, uh, you know, back and forth, back and forth, up, all, all the way up, the 99 switchbacks. And there were literally 99, I counted it. 99 switchbacks. When am I ever going to get up there? Up to the saddle and beyond the saddle, around the back of the, and then up to the summit. It took me almost all day. And I met my team on their way back down. I was still going up. I was second to the last to make it up the top. But I was so glad. I was so glad. And then I realized I still had to descend. And then after that, I drove home. Can you imagine what I did? I drove home that night with my son. So we didn't, you know, so, so we started four o'clock in the morning. We started our climb, our, our, our climb to the summit four o'clock in the morning. And I got, I got, we got home at three o'clock, uh, two o'clock in the morning the following day. And the week after the climb was the worst on my body. I was shaking. I could barely move my legs. And I was just nursing myself the whole, the whole time. There was another uh, uh, backpacking trip that M Mike and I uh, took. And this was a couple of years, or uh, was it a year? Uh, maybe two years, two summers ago. Two summers ago. We went up to Mammoth again, and it was, uh, we thought that the snow was, was already gone, and so we, went, we wanted to go backpacking um, and pretty much uh, uh, follow the trail that we took going up to, uh, <clears throat> from the Devil's Post Pile to, um, where was that, to uh, the Minaret Lake. It was going to be a, a trip, I mean, a, a, a trek of about nine miles, but up and, and then down again. But we, when we got there, we realized that, that there were still mountains of snow. And so we decided to just go down from, uh, from Mammoth uh, Mountain or Mammoth Lake down to um, a lake down below close to the Devil's Post Pile, which was still closed. We couldn't find a trail. It was all covered up in snow. And so we, what would you say, uh, call that if you're bushwhacking through snow? Dave? Is Dave here? Huh? <laughs> it's called being lost. And what should have taken us 45 minutes to an hour to, to hike, and it was all downhill, took us a good portion of three hours. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure we were going to even make our way back, finding our way back. And so I was just going to follow that trail. I mean, not the trail, the road up from the Devil's Post Pile up to the backside of Mammoth Mountain or the front side of, the, of, of Mammoth Mountain where you have the, the ski resort. But we still needed to find the road. It was, it was tough. But do you see now how important it is, how important this phrase is in verse 4, the last part of verse 4. He leads me in the ruts, in the ruts of righteousness. He doesn't just leave you to figure out where you're going. He puts you on a path where you sh you're sure, you're sure to not get lost if you try not to get lost. And soon after that, as, as I said, as, 
as he, as he recollects in verses 1 to 4, he recollects, or 3, about this recent darkness that he's just been through. And the hand of God leading him out of it. He couldn't just keep referring to God in the indirect, uh, in indirect address. He just busts out and says, you, Lord, are the one doing it. How else could it be? How else could it be? And I find myself thinking that and feeling that as I, as I was conducting the funeral of my own brother three weeks ago. And as it's often the case with me, because I am a crybaby, when I am being moved, I just, that's, that's what I do. I don't laugh, I don't eat, I cry. And I couldn't stop myself from crying because I had been through that dark valley before. And I came out of it. It was tough. 27 years ago when my father died, I was in that valley. 27 years ago when my father died, at 55 I was in that valley. My father, who shares the same name as my brother, who also died at 55. When I found myself in that valley recently, I found, I found, I realized that I was still traumatized by that other deep, dark valley I went through 27 years ago. But as soon as I, as I started reflecting, even in the midst, even in the midst of my brother's, brother's funeral, I started to well up. It was not, it was weird because it was not just tears of lament. I was shedding tears not because I was, not only because I was sad over the loss of my brother, I was shedding tears because I knew that just as God was with me then, that God was with me also as I was grieving the loss of my brother. And because of that, Psalm 23 made sense to me. That's what makes Psalm 23 so always appropriate. It makes sense. It just does. Don't, don't try to be scientific with it. It just does. But there you are. As soon as um, as soon as uh, David reflects on what's just happened in his life, he moves to the very heart of the psalm, and now we go to verse 4, where he says, even though, and now this is where he starts addressing God directly, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or in, in my uh, translation it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. What makes Psalm 23 so rich and so enduring to Christians and non-Christians alike? Because it gives us confidence to anticipate future storms. 
and to base our knowledge of God on His past graces and His past goodness. We have the confidence to enter another storm. That is why you're never without Psalm 23. It's a cycle, you see. It's a, it's a psalm, it's a psalm, of, uh, it's a psalm out after the storm, but it's also a psalm into the storm, and it's also a psalm in the storm. It's a psalm for all seasons of life. And it's beautiful in its simplicity, in its openness, in its vulnerability, in its sheer acknowledgement that life truly is best lived when it's lived in the presence of God. And so you find these teary-eyed Christians walking around memorizing Psalm 23. And you, you wonder, why in the world? What's, go, what's going on with, with these? You know, it's because deep inside we know it makes sense. So here we are in verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys as I fear no evil. And then he gives us, he gives us the punchline. You know, in, 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 the Hebrew, in the Hebrew mindset, the punchline is not at the very end. It's in the middle. It's what's called the chiasm. So if you think of an X, um, and, and, you, think, and, 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 and you, you take one side of that X, and you're going down, 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 down to the center. Once you hit the center, it's, you find that the center is in the middle. And then you still have the rest of it. Uh, all the way down. And so you find the center. And the center is this. A direct address and one that he only does once in this, in this uh, uh, psalm. He uses, he uses a, um, a grammatical construction, which, you know, understanding it, would, it, it really does make sense. Because there, there are different ways you could insert the word you into a sentence. Mostly, in, in Hebrew, mostly as a suffix. Meaning, meaning to say, you would, uh, uh, you would include it at the end of a, of a word, right? Of a word. Um, that's not what he does here. This is not just direct address, you, in the normal way where he adds, adds you as at the very end of, of a word. He uses an independent pronoun, which we are accustomed to reading and, as, uh, and, and, ref- and, and we're accustomed to, ref- uh, to, to referring to God in the old King James. Thou. Atta is the word. And he says, Ki atta immadi. Because you are with me. He's expressing, and by the way, another, another, uh, 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 um, thing that we need to bring out here a little bit is the fact that when he says lo, he doesn't, there, there, are, there are two. Um, can I get a, I forgot my, get a tissue. Somebody get me some tissue, please. Thank you. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm being moved right now. So you know me. I'm a crybaby. There are two ways to express negation in the Hebrew scripture. Oh, this is the other boy. That's James. He'll be back here someday. <laughs> I have lots of stories, but that's <laughs> I better I better not embarrass him. 
<laughs> Where was I? Two, two ways to express negation in, in the Hebrew. And one is simple negation, uh, which is uh, what we find in the, in, in the, in the, in the uh, Ten Commandments. Simple negation. And the other one is categorical negation, strong, much stronger, uh, which, would be, which would be more or less uh, saying, never, uh, never. No, that's, that's not what's, what's here. What's here, what, what, what uh, uh, um, David uses here is simple negation. No. So he says, uh, so let me see. Even though I walk through the, uh, through the darkest valley, I, he's not saying, I will never ever fear evil because that would not be human. We say, we tell that to ourselves to convince ourselves, but really, we do get scared, right? No, it's just simple negation. There's nothing special about it. It's just saying, no, I will not fear. I will, I, 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 some, from time to time, we do give in to our fears, don't we? Who's, and what's not to fear? Uh, when, you know, you seem so small in this big world and this world goes crazy, turns over and over and over again. But he says, no, it's a simple, the simple negation is so beautiful because he's saying, you know, my confidence in God is so simple. He is with me, therefore, you know, I may fear sometimes, but no, really, I will not fear. I do not fear. Why? Because he is always with me. And so because, because of his presence, his presence comforts me, he says. And he describes that farther on, if, uh, further on in, in verse 4. Your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is he expressing here? What, what, what uh, um, David is expressing here is the fact that God never leaves us alone. He may not be seen with the naked eye, but you are never alone in your places of darkness, in your times and seasons of storms difficulties in your life. In our days of pandemic, we are never alone. Our country is never alone. If God is good and his, his, his people are in it, you are never alone. You know, I, I, let, me, let me just pause here for a minute and um, um, just digress a little bit here because I'm, the more we talk about uh, Psalm 23, the more, the more we realize that Psalm 23 is really the Old Testament equivalent of the Lord's Prayer. And if you put those two together, if you put those two together, if, try memorizing them both. And you will find out that even before Jesus Christ arrived here on this earth, David knew exactly he didn't need to see Jesus Christ to know that God loved him so deeply that God never left him. And he made a lot of mistakes in his life. More mistakes, perhaps, or worse mistakes than you'll ever make. And he never left him. You are with me, he says. 
And part of what makes it this anticipation of, of future storms is the fact that, that, that he expresses it now as we get to verse 5. As he continues these, this direct address, is that he says, you know, not only does God not leave me alone, but God also wills my victory. He wills it, and not only does he will my victory, he also celebrates my victory. It's really what he wants. And so when he takes us into his arms, and when he, when he uh, absorbs us into his will, don't be thinking that his will is biased against you. His will, you're better off being absorbed into the will of God and into the goodness of God because then, you're, then, then you know that God really does have your best intentions in mind or your best uh, in mind. Look at what he says in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The table and that anointing is what normally happens after a battle, after victory has been won. And he says, here I am, Lord. You will not just guide me so I don't stray. You will not just stay with me. You will see me through until I'm victorious against my enemies. And you will celebrate it with me. Because you love me. Now, if you have somebody that loves you like that, it would take a very callous heart not to be moved. And that's exactly what David does not do. He's completely moved. So by the time we get to verse 6, He's exclaiming, he's back now to exclaiming, to indirect address as if he's now, you know, turned his eyes from God and now he's telling you and me and the rest of the world. And he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Stress, scratch that word follow and replace that word with pursue because that's the better word. Surely God in his goodness and his mercy will pursue me. He will not relent. He will come. Grace never relents. You may relent. But Paul says, the deeper the sin is, the greater grace becomes because grace never relents. He will always pursue you even to the gates of hell. Why is Psalm 23 so enriching, so powerful, so enduring? Last, because it expresses profound gratitude and reciprocal commitment as foundational to life. You cannot go through life thinking you're entitled to everything you've got or do not have. By the time we get to the last part of verse 6, he expresses this. 
it's a double, it's a double entendre, really, because it expresses God's commitment to him. I will always be in the house of the Lord. But at the same time, it also expresses his commitment to never leave it. It's like, it's like Joshua, who, found, who, who, who would never leave the tent of meeting. He, all he wanted to do was, was you know, be in, in there and, and, uh, and, and so on. And I shall dwell, it says, in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Hmm. It's, um, there was a story told once by uh, the late Billy Graham. A story about a great American preacher by the name of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, whose first wife died of cancer, leaving him with three kids under 12. Mercy. That was his darkness. On the day of the funeral, uh, Pastor Barnhouse and his family were driving to the service when a truck passed them by and casting a large shadow across their, their car as it went by. Turning to, his, to, turning to his oldest uh, daughter, who was deeply grieving the loss of, his, of her mother, Barnhouse, Barnhouse asked, Tell me, sweetheart, would you rather be run over by the truck or by its shadow? Looking at her father, she replied, By the shadow, I guess. I, it can't hurt you. Speaking to all his children, Barnhouse said, Your mother has not been overridden by death, but by the shadow of death. There is nothing to fear. I tell you that now and because we live in tumultuous times. We live in uh, scary times unsettled times. But just know that this, these are all shadows and shadows can't hurt you. Especially because ki atta immadi. So who do you allow to be the shepherd of your life. Because you're not strong enough to be your own shepherd. You need someone stronger than you. Should we start calling the good shepherd? Should he shepherd you? Now I'm, you know, there's a lot of... Um, Chatter on Facebook, it's always a lot of chatter on Facebook. And uh, it can be stressful if you're not careful. This one was posted about two years ago uh, by somebody from Australia, Emily Clark. She posted this on Facebook, an experience she and her, and her husband had while they were driving through a, a massive, a severe storm. And I don't know what storm is like in, in, in uh, in that part of the world, but I've been through a storm where I was growing up, and it's torrential downpour. And when you have torrential, I keep telling my kids, and 
I don't know if they understand fully what you go through when you have torrential downpour and 200 miles per hour wind. The, the, that downpour becomes a whip, especially if the wind is gusty. It's not just going one direction, it's gusty, right? And you have whip, you know, and when you have, when you have huts for uh, for a house, a hut for a house, and a tin roof for a roof, or a corrugated, you know, uh, aluminum roof. Can you imagine when that roof flies? I've seen it. You don't want to be around a corrugated aluminum roof flying at the speed of 200 miles per hour, or even 100 miles per hour for that matter. Um, so I don't know what, what it's like there in Australia, but I, I would imagine that this was pretty hard, pretty tough. So she recounts their harrowing experience, and, and I quote, the water was lapping both sides of the highway, and in and, and, and some parts it was over the road. I experienced it once, by the way, in Apple Valley, one of those flash floods. I told you that story already, so I'm not going to repeat it. She said, I asked my husband, do you think he is... Uh, oh, sorry, I, I, I skipped. The water was lapping both sides of the highway, and in some parts it was over the road. We noticed a semi-truck, trailer truck, uh, moving over the left, uh, left ahead of us. I asked my husband, do you think he is pushing the excess water off the road for us? Wishful thinking, perhaps. It was so bad that I could see only his brake lights on one point. It was unsafe to stop, so I... Tr so I, so I uh, tucked in uh, behind the truck, and he guided me, braking frequently and putting his indicator on the side that there was an upcoming hazard. So, she says, they followed the truck until the truck turned off at a pub somewhere. Then, she says, she continues, my husband got out of the car and met him as he got out of his truck to thank him. His name was Footy, and he is from Melbourne, and just so humble. We thanked him from the bottom of our hearts for helping keep us safe. Footy told us, quote, I could see more than you, and if you were my family, I would only hope that another truck driver would do that for you. Well, David says, Yahweh does that for you all the time. Yahweh does it all the time. And here's how he said it. Here's how it sounded with his own lips, using the language he knew. Mismor bet gimel, mismor le David. Adonai, shemo. Gam ki elek beget salmavet, lo irara ki atta imari. 
Shivtaka umish anteka hema yena hamuni. Tarok lefanai shulchan neged surarai deshanta vashemen roshi. Kosi revaya. Ah, tov vachesed yirdifuni kol yemei chayai. Veshavti bevet Adonai Leorek Yamim Life truly is much better lived in open and humble acknowledgement of the goodness and the love of God in your life. And the sooner you realize this, the better you will be in the dark or after the darkness. God be with you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life through. Amen.